This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, so whoever was in shul on um, on um, Simchas Torah, so we have we have um, something called Chasen Chasen Torah. That's the, the the person who gets the last aliyah in the Torah, and then the next the first aliyah in Bereishis is called the Chasen Bereishis, and it's the really only time that. The, the last parsha in the Torah and the first parsha in the Torah are read at the same time. So, the last word, the last word in the Torah, the last word in the Torah is the word Yisrael. Okay, where it says, Uli'ene kol Yisrael. What's the last letter? Here. Uh, the last, the last passing in the Torah says, Ulchol Chazak, that Moshe did Yisrael in the eyes of, of, of Yisrael. The last word in Hashem's Torah is us, is Yisrael. The last letter, or the last word in the Torah is a lamed. That's the last letter in the Torah is a lamed. So we finish the Torah. We hear the lamed. Now we call up the next person to the Torah, and he starts off with Bereishis, Bereishis bara. The first letter. The Torah is a Bez. So the last, last letter is a Lama, and the first to- letter is a Bez, which spells the word Lave. Lave, is a, lave means a heart, right? Lama Bez spells Lave. There's a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. So, so some of the girls ask me, well, why doesn't it spell Bez Lama? Baal. Why, why, you say, why you think it spells Lave? Really, Bereshit comes before Vizosabracha, so it should, it should be Bez Lama, not Lama Bez. But between the bays and the lamed, there's a crazy amount of sukim and, and letters. But between the lamed and the bays on Simchas Torah, there's nothing. It's Yisrael and then Bereshis. So that's where the letters are connected. Otherwise, the bays and the lamed are not connected. There's a whole Torah in between them. The only time the, the lamed and the bays and the lamed are connected is when it's lamed bays. The last, we read the last word and then we read the first word. So it's lave. So the, so the, the heart seems to be the, Includes the whole Torah. What, what does that mean? The heart includes the whole Torah. So there's a there's a mission in Pirkei Avos. It's in um, the second chapter in Pirkei Avos. So there was Rav Yechen and Ben Zakkai, and he had he had five students: Rabbi Elazar Ben Hurkness, Rabbi Yeshua Ben Chanan, Rabbi Yosef Akoyim, Rabbi Shimon Ben Nishanel, and Rabbi Elazar Ben Arach. So he called in his five students. Rabbi Yechen called in these five students, and he said. Tzu'u go out and discern and see, which is the proper way that a man should, should choose in life. What's the, what's the most important thing that a person should choose in life? So he sent out these five students and he said, this is my question, I want all five of you to come back with an answer. Okay. So Rabbi Eliezer came back, Rabbi Eliezer, the most important thing, I think, in a person's life, if you want to lead the right, correct life and be happy, is ayin tova. You should have a good eye. Doesn't mean that you should have 20-20 vision. Doesn't mean you should be able to shoot an arrow into a target. What does ayin tova mean? It means that, that whatever you look at, you see the good in it. And if you live a life that whatever you look at, you see the good in it, you're going to have a good life. You're going to have good relationships. It's, it's gonna work. I, I'm very into Abraham Lincoln. He wrote the, some of the most amazing, uh, it's in my book actually, his, his, 
statement on Hakar Satov on gratitude, in my book of gratitude, and I begged, I begged um, um, the person who was writing the, with me, to put, I, I was begging them that they should please put it in the book, even though it's not a Jewish, uh, you know, it's not, a, it's not a rabbi that we're quoting, we're quoting Abraham Lincoln, you know, he had a beard and he was tall and he wore a hat, black hat, he still wasn't a rabbi. Um, so I, I think the greatest line ever written on Hakar Satov was written by him. And, and it's a very famous line. And what he said was that I cried because I had no shoes till I met a man who had no feet. Which is an extremely deep statement. Because what, what does that mean? So, so you met a man who has no feet. What does it do with your shoes? Right? So what he was saying is that I cried because I had no shoes because my feet are bare. But when I met somebody who could never have shoes... I realized that, what am I crying about? I'm crying about a moment right now. I have feet and I can't put shoes on them. But one day I will be able to have those shoes. So there's no reason to cry. If you, and, and I had a very long talk in seminary on, on Monday about this. Um, it's, not, it's not something to cry about. And it's not something to get depressed about. And it's not tragic if a person is not reaching their potential. Because... It may take a long time to reach your potential, right? I'm sure your poems, as they went on, got better and better and better and better. You didn't write your best poem as your first poem, right? So a baseball player gets better and better the more practice. So, so that's not tragedy. What is tragedy? Tragedy is when a person doesn't think they have any potential. In other words, when a person doesn't think they reach their potential, so that's what drives you. That's what drives the person. That's what life's all about. Life is... It's challenging. It's challenging. It's continuously trying to reach your potential. Somebody runs a marathon, a 26-mile New York marathon, in five and a half hours. The next time they run it, they don't want to run it in five and a half hours. They want to run it in five hours, right? They're not going to try to run because then what I, I, I did that already, you know, done that, been there, not interested in doing that. So life is the way Hashem created us. Life is always. About I got to this level now I need to get to this level and that's why he he physically created us in such a way that when you're born you're doing nothing you can do nothing zero we're the only being that's born that can do nothing an animal is born it stands right away it eats right away it has teeth it doesn't it doesn't grow teeth later on it has teeth it stands I saw a horse born I saw a cow born they get up on their feet right away human being we're in the top of that pyramid and <laughs> the baby's born and like. Three months later, it rolled over on the bed and they're throwing a party, taking pictures and sending it to the whole family. And, 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 the, and the cat that's in the house is trying to figure out, like, what are you so excited about? I rolled over. I was ready, I was ready walking the first day I was born and you're getting all excited. This silly little thing just turned over on the bed. Like, and usually the first time you find out that your kid turned over on the bed is when it falls off the bed. Because until that point, it never turned over. So the first time it turned over, it usually falls off the bed, right? Um, so, so why does Hashem do that? If I'm the top, I should be born with everything going on. And the answer is that that's not a human being. A human being is, an animal's potential is realized pretty much when it's born. A human being, the whole, the whole life is, is, okay, the baby does nothing. It just, it, it, it can't, it can't talk. It can't write sentences. It can't do mathematics. Um, it, it can't eat any hard, you know, objects. It can't walk. It can't throw. It can't do anything. And as it grows up, it all of a sudden it can turn over. Then it starts to crawl. Then it starts to stand. Then it starts to walk. Then it starts to run. He says his first word, which makes 
no sense. He says just a, a syllable, and then all of a sudden he says a word, and then all of a sudden he says a sentence, then all of a sudden he says a, a, a paragraph. That's how Hashem created us, because if there's no potential, if you can't go any further, you reach your goal, there's no reason to go on. So we're always, we're never reaching our potential. We're always striving to reach a higher potential. That's fine. There's no reason to get depressed because you're not there. That's part of, that's like a kid getting depressed that he just started crawling and he's not running. He realized that he, he can't run yet. But what is there a reason to get depressed when a person doesn't think they have potential? Because if potential is life and you don't think you have potential and you don't think you have life, then you're going to be extremely depressed. And that's why death, you know, even though you're going to a better place and a better world and, and Shemayim and Hashem and the Kisai Covenant and Ganeiden and all these good things, the reason that, that it's death, we, we, we rip our clothing, we sit on the floor and it's such a tragedy is because that person's potential is over. That's tragedy. And some people are dead while they're, while they're alive. Because if you don't believe you have potential, then you're the same thing as the person who died. The person who died has no potential and you don't think you have potential. So you're dead inside. So, so, Ayin Taiva is, is the ability, we'll talk about Ayin Taiva's ability to see good and to also see, to be in Chinuch, to be a good parent, to be a good educator, um, to be in a good marriage. You have to have a good, you have to have the ability to see the potential of the other person. You know, even though your kid's giving you agita, but maybe in five years I'll have some nachas. And maybe in 20 years I'll have some nachas. And sooner or later I'll have some nachas. And it's the same thing in a marriage. The, 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 the celebration of a marriage, of a wedding, is only potential. Because they just get married. They're not doing anything. There's nothing happening. They just met each other. The, the celebration of a wedding should be at the 50th anniversary. The 50th anniversary, we get the 10-piece band and spend $100,000 on flowers and invite everybody because... 50th anniversary, we realized they made it. Hello? When, 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 you know, I, I told you last year, I have a friend that he doesn't write checks. You know, when you get a wedding invitation, so you write a check to the people, he doesn't write checks. He doesn't write checks. He, he gives U.S. bonds because it, it, you buy like a $36 bond, you buy for $10, and it, 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 it matures like 30 years later. So he's like, if they make it for 30 years, then they'll have the money. If not, you know what I mean? There's another guy, he post-dates the check 10 years. It's like, you know, I don't know if this is going to work. I, I, you know, three, three months later, the from the divorce. So, so what are you celebrating? Everyone's jumping. You're dancing for six hours. You got a 15-piece band. What are you getting excited about? Maybe it won't work. Maybe in three months they'll be divorced. Maybe in three years they'll be divorced. Maybe they're going to beat each other. Maybe it's going to be a dysfunctional marriage. What are you so happy about? And the answer is that the human being celebrates potential. We have these two young people who are starting off their life. Children, grandchildren, marriage, a home. We're celebrating the potential of these two children. That's what a wedding is. Anniversary, 50th anniversary, it's very nice. It's, in a, it's a restaurant, you invite the family, you, you're, not, you're buying two, two dozen roses, there's no band, right? It's a family celebration. Why, not, why aren't you going crazy? Because at the 50th anniversary, how much potential is left? So you're celebrating... But they accomplished, but you're not celebrating the potential. They're already married 50 years. They'll be a they should marry another 20 years. But what's here, these kids have a 70-year potential. These people only have a 20-year potential. So, Ayin Tova is the ability to, to see the good, to see the potential good in somebody else or in everything. Now, the interesting thing about it is that this is going to be a little bit of a twist of your brains. That you're, 
you're much you see much easier the good in others when you're not doing well. When you're doing well, it's very hard to see the good in others. Now, what am I what am I saying? The eight Sahara of growth of, of of growing is that you begin to judge everyone else who's not. For instance, right? So I have friends that were smokers their whole life. Their car smelled from smoke. Their clothing smelled from smoke. You, 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 you sat in the same car. You got out of the car. You smelled from smoke, right? My friend stopped smoking. After 30 years, he stopped smoking. All of a sudden, nobody can come into the car who smokes. I don't... Stay away from me. You know, I don't understand you. It's an addiction. Why, why are you still smoking? I'm like, hello, you just stopped, right? And the answer is that what happens when you grow, same thing, I get, I get emails from girls who, who went off the internet or went off Facebook because of my speeches and they're writing, like Ray Walston, I went off Facebook and, 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 and it's, it's like a whole new life and I have time and, and I don't understand. I don't, I, you know, I'm trying to tell this to my friends. I don't understand what's wrong with them. How come they can't see it? And this goes right and I'm like, you just got off Facebook. You're a day off Facebook. What are you criticizing them for? Right? So that, that's what happens. The challenge of growth is that you begin, you begin to see the bad in everyone. You think it's the other way around. Now, when you're not doing well, when you're not doing well, you see the good in everyone. Why? For instance, let's say we'll talk diet. Right? We'll talk diet. So, you love potato chips. You know they're not good for you. You're eating potato chips. It's full of calories. It's full of oil. It's full of all this bad stuff. Right? And you have friends that are also eating potato chips. Right? Instead of seeing the bad in them, you're like, you know, she eats potato chips, but she does so much chesed. So she's really a good person. She does so much good, right? Why are you saying that? Because if you can find good in her, I'm just giving you a very light example, right? You can find good in her and she's eating potato chips. That means if I'm also eating potato chips, which, which is what I'm doing, I'm also a good person. So I'm not going to look at her and say, oh my gosh, what's wrong with her? Doesn't she get it? It's full of oil and trans fat. And, oh, how could she be doing this? Because if you say that, then you're pretty much saying to yourself, I'm no good. So when you're doing wrong things, you're going to the movies and you shouldn't be watching those movies, right? You're going you're gonna to find out this girl, oh my gosh, my friend, she just went to this movie. It's a terrible movie, but I also watched the movie, right? You're going to say, ah, it's not so bad. It's not so bad that she went to this movie because she's really a good kid. She does this and she does that and she has kibbutz of the aim, and, right? But if you stop going to movies... Right, and she didn't. All of a sudden, you're going to be like, "What's wrong with her? I don't understand why." Which she's making believe. She's making believe she's really religious. She's not really religious. Oh, she has kibbutz of the aim. Yeah, but she's going to movies, so the whole thing's a fake. What happened? All of a sudden, you were able to stop it. So now, all of a sudden, you're judging that other person because now I can judge her badly. Listen carefully. I can judge her badly, but it doesn't reflect on who I am because I'm not doing that anymore. So the challenge of Ayin Taiva, most people think that that's for a challenge for someone who's a bad person to see good in the world. No. The challenge of seeing good in someone else is the good person. The Yetzahara of growth is judging everyone else. Very hard to grow and not to judge everyone else. People who go on diets, all of a sudden they're like the food gurus in the world. It's like they go on a diet and all of a sudden they sit there with their friend like, you shouldn't eat that. And you're not, you know what? I'm not even letting you eat that. And you put, hello? Two weeks ago you were, you were, you were gulping that thing down a lot more than I am. All of a sudden she became a nutritionist because she stopped eating and she looks at everybody's plate. Hello? Why? Because now I can judge you and it doesn't affect me.
Before, when I was eating the same thing, if I judge you, it affects who I am. Now I can judge. So, so, ayin toiva, being able to, be able to see the good in everyone, is much harder when you're doing well. And the, the Yetzirah, I can tell you in my own life, I was always very not judgmental, and I, and, and I always found the good in what anybody did, because I was doing a lot of stuff I shouldn't have been doing. So, I would never say to oh, this person's doing something wrong, he's a Russia. I would say, nah, there's good parts to it. But all of a sudden, when I got rid of my movies, and, I get, and there's no internet, and I got rid of my non-Jewish music, and I got rid of all this other stuff, all of a sudden I was like, why are my friends, like, what's wrong with them? Like, why, why, why are they talking in shul? Like, how could you talk in shul? But I used to talk in shul. When I used to talk in shul, it didn't bother me. Now all of a sudden, I was like, how can you talk in shul? Right? And, and all of a sudden, I'm judging everybody because I grew. It's very, it's a Yetzirah, it's not a Yetzirah. It's a very bad thing. So I went to my Rebbe, my, my Rebbe Gamliel, and I told him when I started to become very critical. I wasn't, Zechariah Wallace was never a critical person. All of a sudden, I became very critical. I wasn't happy with myself. I was very critical of my friends. I was critical of people in shul. Like, I, what, don't come to shul if you're going to talk. And I, got, I became this very critical, um, like, pessimistic person. And I went to my Rebbe, and I'm like, this is not me, I'm turning into a monster. I'm judging everybody, I'm angry at everybody. And he's like, that's the Yetzirah of growth. The Yetzirah of growth is to judge everyone else, you have to fight it. You have to say, even though I grew, this person may be doing something well, but who knows how much, they're much bigger than I am, and, and their test is much harder than mine. And, and you know, the, one of the biggest Rebbe's, Hasidic Rebbe's that ever was, he had the ability of always looking at everyone and from the worst of error he could find, you know, he could find, there's a, there's a very famous Gemara where Leonavi, Leonavi was walking with, with um, a big, a big town, a big rabbi, and um, the rabbi said to him, there's a dead donkey full of flies and it was laying on the floor and it was like dead for a long time so it was rancid with flies and everything and he said to Leonavi, uh, look at this ugly corpse. And Eliyahu said, it may be an ugly corpse, but I've never seen such beautiful teeth. Donkeys have very big white teeth. So he, he, he's looking at the corpse, he's looking at the teeth. That's an ayin taiva. It's hard, especially when you grow. When you're bad, it's not hard. Everyone's good. Because if they're not good, I'm not good. It's when you're good that no one's good. It's a, it's a very big twist. So he said, it's not easy, but a person who has that ability to see the good, to see the good, going to have a life. He's going to see good in his wife. He's going to see the good in his children. He's going to see the good in God's world. He's going to see the good in everything. He's going to have a good life. Okay, so that's, this boy came back. This, this Talmud student came back. That's what he said. I feel that's the most important thing. Okay. The next one came back, and he said, Rabbi Yeshua said, no. Even if you have a good eye, if you have bad friends, right? If you have bad friends, you're going to end up going bad. So I think the most important thing is chaver tov. Not a good friend, because a good friend you can do really bad things. You can be good friends and all the guys on ISIS that are chopping people, they're all best friends, right? It means not a good friend, it means a friend that's good. Chaver tov is a friend that's good. If you have a friend that's good, in the end, it's the most important thing. Because even if you have a good eye, but if you hang out with people that are miserable, you're going to end up being miserable. He's, I think the best thing in life is having a friend that's good. Okay, that's what he came back with. Fine. Rabbi Yossi, Omer, Rabbi Yossi said, it's got to be more than that. One friend is not going to change your life. Shochein Tov. You have to live in a good neighborhood. In other words, you have to surround yourself in a good environment. 
one guy is not going to change. But if you're in a good environment, you know, I remember the first time I went to, to Macy's in Manhattan, and I was married, and I went upstairs to get to buy something. But in Macy's in Manhattan, to get to the elevators, you have to go through the perfume department. Downstairs, when you walk in, it's all perfume. And I came home, and my wife's like, why does your jacket and everything smell from perfume? <laughs> and it's not my perfume. What's going on? I'm like, I was in Macy's. She said, oh, okay. Because everyone knows that if you go to a fish store, you're going to smell from fish. Right? Even if you don't buy the fish, you're just walking into the store, you walk out. So he says, if you, if you, by osmosis, if you're in a good neighborhood with good people, that's the most important thing to have. Okay? Rabbi Shimon Omer, five different opinions. Rabbi Shimon came back, he said, that stuff's all good, but it's not the major part. What do I think is the major part? He said something very big. He said, Haraya es hanolag. What's the most important thing in life is being able to see consequence. A person who realizes consequence is going to make all the right decisions. The reason that teenagers are very different than adults is because teenagers don't ever look at the consequence. They look at what's in front of them, and they don't look at the consequence. As you get older, right, and you realize there's consequences to everything that you do, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you make different decisions. So he said, the most important thing that I know, one who sees the future. It doesn't mean a Kabbalist. It means... Someone who, a reaction has a reaction, and you need to think about that reaction. Why does he use the word harayas hanolad? Because nolad doesn't really mean future. Nolad means born, a baby born. A person who sees a baby born, right? And the answer is, what he was saying was, the person was able to see potential. That's the most important thing in life. Harayas hanolad. If someone looks at a baby, if he looks at a baby, the baby can't do anything. But he understands that one day I was a baby, and I couldn't do anything. And now I can do everything. So he, he looks at the baby and he, real, he will never be depressed. Because a person who looks at a baby and realizes that this thing could do nothing. And now it can walk, it can talk, it can write compositions, it can write poems, it can, it can build buildings, it can make planes, it can fly planes, right? So a person who understands that, understands that there's potential, will never get depressed. Because, okay, right now I can't walk. The baby couldn't either, right? So to say in life. But now, one day, he's going to be able to run. So... Arrayas another the one who looks at a baby and understands that from nothing com- comes this, this growth, he'll never be depressed and he'll always be happy in life. Because like if it didn't happen today, it'll happen tomorrow. The baby didn't walk today, he'll walk tomorrow. So he says, and that's, that's consequence. Okay. Then came the last rabbi, the last student. And that's really why I'm teaching the Mishnah. Rabbi Laza Oimer, I hear what you're saying, good eye, good friend, good neighborhood, good consequences, but that's not enough. And he says, Lev Tov. He says, the most important thing that a person has to have in life is a good heart. That doesn't mean that you had a good cardiogram, right? The most important thing is that a person should have a good heart. What does that mean? Now, why am I telling you this? The reason I'm telling you this is as follows. And the rabbi came back, Rabbi Yochanan, their teacher, said, I heard all five of what you had to say. And I have to tell you that the one that was right, right, the student that was right, was Rabbi Lazar who said a good heart. And they're all like, what, a, a, a good eye is not important? Good friends are not important? C- uh, um, Consequence is not important? He said, no, they're all important, but I'll tell you why I like Rabbi Lazar's answer. Because, He said, the one thing of all five that includes the other four, if you have a good heart, you're automatically going to see the good in people. If you have a good heart, you're automatically going to draw good friends. If you have a good heart, the people around you are going to be good people. If you have a good heart, 
you will always look at what you do, what's going to be the consequence. He said, all your answers are included in this one answer. So I like this answer the best. He said, by saying good heart, you're saying all the other ones. By saying all the other ones, you're not including good heart. So that's it. He said, your answer is the best answer. Okay. Where do you get that from? So this is amazing. So the, the last word, in, the last letter in the Torah is a base. The first uh, is a lamed. The first word in the, in the Torah is a base, which spells lave. Okay? Now, lamed base, lave, right? It's 32. Lamed is, the numerical value of the letter lamed is 30, and the numerical value of the base is 2. It's 32. Lave equals 32. Let us take, let us count the first 32 letters in the Torah. Okay? 32? 32. So let's count it. I'm going to do it for you. Bereshis, Bara, Elohim, Es, Hashemayim, the Es, Haaretz, Haaretz, Haisa, Sohu, that's 10. Vavohu, Vachoshech, Al, Penei, Sahom. Veruach, Elohim, Merachefes, Al, Penei, that's 20. Hamayim. Vayomer, Elohim, Yehi, Ar, Vayehi, Ar, Vayar, Elohim, Es, that's 30. Haar, 31. Ki, 32. So what's the next letter after Lev? Tov. The 33rd letter in the Torah is the word Tov. So the last letter, which is a Lamed, plus the first letter, which is a Bez. And then you count 32, gives you the word Lev Tov. So the whole Torah is encompassed with the word Lev Tov. A good heart, that's what this whole book is all about. About having a Lev Tov. But what does that mean? What does a Lev Tov mean? What does that mean? So, this is, this is really actually the, the class that I gave this, this week in seminary. Um, so first of all, I just want to tell you about, about um, something about Ayin Tova, right? I said about Ayin Tova. So I saw a saying from Abraham Lincoln, which, which I told you about, you know, is, is, is talking about um, appreciation and gratitude. But I saw an unbelievable, and I was preparing this year, uh, so I go through certain books that I read, whatever it is, and I, and I was looking for the, like the best example, what does it mean to have a good eye? What does that mean, Ayin Tova? He said something that's absolutely amazing. You've got to write this down, and you've got to remember this for life. This is something that Abraham Lincoln said. Listen to this. We can complain because rose bushes, you'll love them. You will love this. We can complain because rose bushes have thorns. Or we can rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. Is that, is that mind-blowing? That's Ayin Tova. So one person looks at the rose and says, what's up with this? Why did Hashem have to make a beautiful flower with thorns on it? And the other person looks at the exact same thing and says, this is amazing. God made these thorns, but then he put this beautiful flower on top of it. Same rose, two different looks. One's an eye in Tova, and one's an eye in Ra. When I said this, I said, whoa, this is exactly what... It's 100%. No, 100%. It's unbelievable. It's very deep. He was very, anyway, he wrote a lot of stuff that's very fascinating. But that's like, that's something just tremendous. When you look at a rose, right? So there, there were people that are like, uh, like, why would you do that, Hashem? Why, why would you put all these disgusting thorns on a rose? 
And other people look at it and like, wow, Hashem made a thorn bush. He didn't like the way it looked because it's so, you know, painful looking. So he put this beautiful flower on top to make it beautiful. It's like, it's like two different people walking out of this room in a, in a different world. One's depressed and just gray, and the other one's like flying. It's like, wow, look at the thorn bush. That have a, Hashem put a rose on it. And by the way, in Shir Hashirim, Hashem talks about it many times. Specifically the flower that Hashem, that, that Shlomo only talks about is the rose. He doesn't talk about carnations. And he doesn't talk about tulips. And he doesn't talk about uh, birds of paradise. He talks about the rose. Because the, the rose is a representation. I mean, there's other things written on it that the rose is so beautiful that, you know, um, there are certain animals that eat flowers. I have flowers in the mountains and deers come into that flower bed and they just eat all the flowers, right? But deers will not eat roses because they have thorns. So on the other hand, you can look at them and say, Hashem created this beautiful thing and he protected it. How many people look at that and say, wow, Hashem created a, ro- a flower and he, and he protected it. They're like, ugh, get these thorns off, cut them off. Like, ugh, why do you, you know, it has thorns. It's just the opposite. It keeps the, the animals from eating them. Mm-hmm. Whatever, it's, it's how a person looks at life. And that, that's really the, like the best example of, of a difference between an iron raw and an iron type. He wrote it, he wrote it very beautiful. Anyway, so, so, going back to what is, um, what is a lave tove? So, I'm, I'm teaching seminary and they're all girls down at Mirza Shem. You know, they're all young single girls and they're gonna start dating, whatever it is. And we got into this discussion, this big word, which for some reason some people feel it's not a, it's not a word that you're allowed to use. Uh, what is love? Alright, now that's a crazy shit to have with girls. Cause that's like a crazy word and, and it's interesting because I'm dealing with a lot of kids all my life. And um, a lot of kids that are having problems with their parents, mothers and fathers, and, and vice versa, marriages and whatever it is, one of the things that, you know, the kid says to me, I just want you to know that I'm 23 years old and my mother never said I love you. She doesn't, she never tells me that she loves me. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm a very front guy. And I, you know, when I, the mother put the daughter in because it's not working and then she walks out of the room and then I talk to the mother separately I'm like just could you explain to me your daughter's 23 years old you never told her you love her she goes what are you, what are you talking about she knows I love her they all say the same thing I'm like how does she know you love how do you how does she know what do you mean how does she know I buy her everything I take care of her I put her through school what, what do you mean I'm like so if that's the case why are you scared to say those words if you really do love her if you don't love her if, you, if you're the mother say, I don't love her Okay, I can handle that. But if you tell me that you love her, then why don't you say I love her? Because there's, there's this something impression, and maybe in the, in the Jewish world or in the Frum world, that that's a dirty word. That the word love is, you know, and, there, and, and not, not a dirty word, but it's sort of a word that you don't you don't, you don't use. It's, it's chiba, and and you know, I understand that that until you get engaged, you know, a, a boy's never allowed to write that, and and there are many. Boys that, that are, that are taught, and I, I don't know which way I would go, but that are taught that, that until you're after married, you cannot write a card to your kala, even after you're engaged. You can't, you can't write love chayim. You could write, um, I think I like you very much. Um, yours truly, humbly yours, um, I hope one day to be yours, uh, you know, but, but you can't write that word. It's against Allah, you can't write that word. So, I have a bone to pick with that, and I'll tell you why. First of all, it's it's um, it's very important to tell your children that you love them, um, because not everyone knows 
a mother thinks that my child knows and the child doesn't know. It's very important for a husband to tell it to his wife, and it's very important for his wife to tell his husband. Now, you've seen that, Ray Watson, where are you getting that from? Like, you sound like a very modern rabbi, right? I'll tell you where I'm getting it from. I don't get anything from my own. So I'll tell you where I get it from. We say Kriya Shema, we say Shema Yisrael, Kriya Shema. It's a mitzvah from the Torah to say Kriya Shema every morning and every evening. There's a very interesting thing in Kriya Shema. I never understood it growing up. Right? We say, first of all, it's very interesting. Where did the Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokein Hashem Mechad, where does it come from? Who said it? Who said it? Where does it come from? Where is Shema Yisrael? We say it every day. It's such a big, important thing. Where does it come from? Anyone know where it comes from? What? Where, where by Yaakov Avinu did this happen? He said it. He said whatever. He said he was Makabah Omach Shema. But where does it come from? So it says that it's brought down that Yaakov Avinu had all his children, right? And he was dying and he was very scared. I just saw it this over Yantav. And he was scared they were going to go off to Derek. How does he know after he dies they're not going to serve Avayda Zara? So he said to them, how do I know how do I know that you're not you, you're not going to go off, you're not going to after I die you're not going to go serve idols? So they said Shema Yisrael. Their father was Yisrael. Yaakov was Yisrael. Shema Yisrael. Listen, our father Yisrael. Hashem Elokeinu. Hashem is our God. Hashem Echad. Hashem will always be the only one. It was the Shvatim told this to their father. Now you can ask me a question. Then how did he say Shema Yisrael? When Yosef was on his shoulder, whatever it was. So we don't know if he said Shema Yisrael or if he said Makabal Machashmai, whatever it is. But this is where Shema Yisrael was, where they said, Shema Yisrael, listen Yisrael, listen to our You have nothing to worry about Hashem, Elokeinu, Hashem, Echad. But anyway, what are we saying, Shema? Yahafta is Hashem, Elokeinu, You should love God with your whole heart. How could you tell me to love? How could you? You cannot tell me to love something. Love is an emotion. You, you can't tell me to love somebody. That's something that develops. Uh, we want you to love Hashem. It's a good thing to love Hashem. You can't give me a commandment to love Hashem. Specifically, if a parent says, you have to love me, the child won't love them. Right? So, how can you give me a commandment? And we say, in Kriyashma, you have to love Hashem with your whole heart. How can Hashem ask me to do that? Beautiful, beautiful. Listen to this. Hashem cannot ask you that unless He tells you first that He loves you. He cannot ask you to love Him without Him telling you that He loves you. So therefore, before Kriyashma in the morning, when you daven, what do you say? Baruch Hashem. No, right before Kriyashma. Before you say the word Shema Yisrael, before you're commanded, so to say, to love Hashem, what do you say? You say... Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you God, Habocher Ba'amo Yisrael Ba'ava, who chose us for one reason, that you love us. Not because we're the chosen nation, not because we're scared of you, not because we're smarter than anybody else. Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you Hashem, Habocher Ba'amo Yisrael Ba'ava, Hashem, you should be blessed that you chose us, that you told us that you love us. Ah, Hashem said he loves us, now he has the right to say, I told you first. You know that game. I don't know if you played that game. I don't know how many good. I remember when I was engaged to my wife. So I was like, okay, you hang up. And she's like, no, you hang up. And I'm like, no, you hang up. So I'm like, you hang up, you know. I'm not saying, I, love, I said I love you first. And I, right? So Hashem said, I said I love you first. I'm telling you that I love you. Now I can ask you to love me. 
But if I don't tell you that I love you, I can't ask you to love me because there's no, there's no one, one relationship. There's no one way relationship. I can't ask you to love me without me expressing my love for you. So you can say, oh, just, right, Wildstein, you got lucky. It just happened that that bracha in the morning was a bracha before Krishna. So you made this whole shot up. Okay. And you can't say that. Why? Because we have to say Kriyashma twice. And the second time we say Kriyashma is at night. And what's the bracha before we say Kriyashma at night? Baruch atah Hashem. Bless you Hashem. Ohev amo Yisrael. Bless you Hashem who loves his nation Yisrael. Same thing as Shachras. First we say, bless you Hashem who loves us. Then Hashem says, now I'm telling you that I love you. My nation, Klai Yisrael, I love. Now, I'm asking you to love me. I told you first, I love you. Now I can't ask you to love me. But if I don't tell you that I love you, I have no right to ask you. So I said in my shir last night, I said, if God, who really could tell you, you have to love me. I don't need to tell you that I love you. I created the world, I gave you life, I gave you eyes, I gave you ears, I gave you world, I gave you fruit, I gave you taste, I gave you sunrise, I gave, I gave you all this. You have to love me. God said, no, I still won't ask you that until I tell you I love you. Surely a human being, right, who you don't have to love, surely needs to say to the other person, to, for a mother to expect her daughter to love her, she has to express that I love you. And for a daughter to expect her mother to love her, she has to express to her mother that I love you. It's not a dirty word. It's a word that's used over and over and over and over in tefillah. It's the word that's used, right? It's the word that's used in Kriyashma. It's used in Bukhma, we serve Yahweh. I mean, the morning, I think it says seven times before Kriyashma that Hashem loves us. In Avas Olam, if you look it up, right? It's Vahaftanu, Vahavas Olam. It might be six, seven times that it says that Hashem loves us, loves us, loves us, loves us. And finally he says, okay, how about loving me? In Kriyashma. So, so that is, that is a, that is, that is a relationship. And therefore, the, 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 when the, so, okay, so now what does that mean? It's very nice, very well, we hear you, but it's only words. I said, I would rather that someone doesn't say they love their children, but treats their children well, then says, I love you, and it's just words, and they, you abuse your children. In other words, some girl said, that's very nice, right, Walsh, but anyone can say, I love you, and then beat you, and then, right, so, 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 I said, okay, so now we have to translate, what does that word mean? And this is a very okay. important question, right? So, and everyone has their opinion what that word means, but I'm going to give you my opinion, okay? <laughs> and then I'm going to prove my opinion, because I'm not going to just give you my opinion. So, the, the word that I, 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 I used many years ago, which, which aggravated my wife, um, because it's definitely not a romantic word. The, the, the word love, I said love, real love is sacrifice. Now that's a very bitter word for, I mean, like imagine you like, you come home and a husband says to his wife, I'd like to sacrifice you. Hello. <laughs> right? So that's not, that's not like such a, you know, that's really not a good word when a guy's proposing to a girl. You know, and he gets down on one knee and says, high sacrifice. You know, that's not, that's not going to really work. So, but what is it, what is it, and what does that word mean? What does that word mean? So, when I first said it, when I, when I first said it, I was like, 
Okay, so you have this guy who wants to watch, he, you know, he gets married and he, and it's a big giant football game and he wants to watch the game with his friends and he, he's this newlywed and his wife's like, you know, we have a wedding this week and I don't have anything to wear. And he's like, what do you mean? What's that in your closet? But whatever, right? She said, I have nothing to wear and I have no shoes. I want to go to Bloomingdale's. They're having a big sale. I want to go to Bloomingdale's. He's like, when? And she's like, well, they open at 10 and they close at 5 or 7. So let's, you know, let's be in the city at 10. He's like, oh, no, the giant football game's at 1. And she's like, well, you know, you just, you know, it's up to you. You don't want to go. You don't have to. <laughs> And he's like, okay, okay, you know, I'm gonna be a good guy, even though I'm really gonna be upset. And he goes, and he goes to, and he goes to Bloomingdale's, and, and he spends the whole day there, five, six hours. Of course, she buys nothing, but she at least touched 2,000 dresses, so she's happy. She did that, you know, check, check them all out, try them all on, and that, because girls don't have to buy anything. The, the art of shopping is what they enjoy. I learned that after having five daughters. And like, guys, we if we go shopping and we come up with nothing, total failure, total depression. So we don't come home with nothing. We're going to buy something. We go into a store, we buy five suits, you know, five ties, five, uh, two, one pair of shoes. We don't need 20 pairs of shoes. One pair of shoes, five... Five socks, it takes us 12 minutes. Give me a gray one, give me a blue one, give me a brown one. Give me one with stripes, one without stripes. You want to try them all on? No, I tried on the 44, they're all the same cut. Just put them in the closet. The tailor only tailors one pants. He copies all the other pants to that pants. We're in, we're out, we're done. Mom, it's 20 minutes, the whole thing. Right? We, there's no art of shopping, just the opposite. The faster you can do it, the better it is. But girls like to, they don't, they, they don't really like to buy. They like to look. Because even when they find the right thing, they're like, I'll come back in two weeks when it's on sale. <laughs> and then when they come back in two weeks when it's on sale, they keep it on the bag because it might go back on sale. And, you know, the gap is like the most amazing thing because every time it goes back on sale, you can bring the thing back and get back money, get back money, get back money, get back money. So the thing's back. Return, 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 return. It's amazing. You see the FedEx trucks come up, drop off, come back, pick up, drop off, pick up. Okay. But it's fun. Listen. Hashem. It's fine. I'm not, I'm, I'm not complaining. So here's this guy and he's like, I just spent five hours with my wife, right? And she didn't buy anything. But Rebbe, I really love her. I'm like, why, why, do you, why do you think you love her? He says, because I sacrificed my football game. I said, are you happy? No. <laughs> I'm not happy that I sacrificed a football game, but isn't that what you're supposed to do when you're married? Like, she wanted to buy, you know, she wanted to go shopping. I'm not happy, you know? And, and, and you know, Jewish men are good businessmen because we're thinking deal. We think like, well, if I went this week for you, then next week I'm getting tickets, you're going to go to the game for me, right? And it's always a deal. That's how we work. That's a, that's why we're good businessmen. We're always making deal. And Jewish women are also great businessmen. I mean, believe me, the gap is not making money on Jewish women. For sure not. Right? They know the sale, the sale. I mean, I don't know how you figure it out. 50%, 20%. When I do all the percent, it's like you got 100% off. You know, why are you paying anything? Right? I don't chop the whole thing. But whatever. So, so he thinks he's like the biggest tzaddik because, because he sacrificed no, that's not love. That's a cheshbin. I gave you this, you owe me this. I did this, you owe me that. That's not loving it. So the word sacrifice, you have to understand what that word really means. Now, where did I get that? Sacrifice is love. Because Yitzhak had ten, te- uh, Avram had ten tests to show his love to Hashem. And every test, he grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. So first he had to sacrifice his homeland, his family. Then he had to go to Mitzrayim. Right? And then came the ultimate sacrifice. And once he did the ultimate sacrifice, which translates to love, Hashem didn't make him sacrifice, didn't do anything anymore. So the ultimate love, proof of that, that Abraham loved 
Hashem was the sacrifice of Yitzchak. So to me, love and sacrifice must be the same thing. But there was a little piece missing. Because really the sacrifice of Yitzchak, the, the Akedah's Yitzchak was the sacrifice of Avram. Because Yitzchak to die would take a second. He chopped his head off, it's over. Avram would have suffered the rest of his life. Did I hear Hashem right? I just killed my own child. Sorry, I may not die because I did it. Maybe I did the wrong thing. Maybe I murdered my own, my whole potential. He would, he would have lived a terrible, he would have been, right? So, 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 the real sacrifice, Yitzhak was gone. He doesn't know, he's gone. It takes a second, right? It takes a second to die for, to go, for, to die for God. It takes a lifetime to live for God. So that's why we as Jews, we don't commit suicide for Hashem. Because that's, that takes a second. That's nothing. To live a whole life for God. That, that, that's not easy. So, the piece that I was missing is that what happened at Akedah Yitzhak, when Hashem said you don't have to kill him, he said, but I, but I love you Hashem, I, I cannot, Hashem said you passed the test, goodbye, go home, go home. He turned around and he went looking, he went looking for a carbon to bring to Hashem. That, 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 and, and what do we blow on, what, what, what do we blow on, on, on Rosh Hashanah to remind Hashem of Akedah Yitzhak? We blow the horn of the aisle. The aisle wasn't the test. Of course you could bring up an animal. The test was Yitzchak. So if you want to remind Hashem of Akedah Yitzchak, on Rosh Hashanah, take the Gabai, tie him up, put him on the bima. The rabbi should come with a big knife and say, I'm now going to Shech Yitzchak. And then someone would come by, Stop! Stop! Don't do it! And everyone would say, Oh, that's going to remind Hashem of Akedah Yitzchak. You're blowing a horn from an animal? That wasn't the test. So why is that what reminds Hashem of Akedah Yitzchak? And the answer is, because... He showed his love that, that it wasn't about the sacrifice, that his love for Hashem was, I have to give you something. I have to make you happy. And if I didn't check the Yitzchak, even though I was willing to, I didn't make you happy. That's what love is. Love is that this boy, and this is what I told this boy, is that when he sat there and saw his wife trying on all those dresses and her face was all flushed and she was calling her friends and like taking pictures and saying, did you like it? And she was happy. That should have made you happy. It has nothing to do with the football game. It has nothing to do whether she buys dresses or not. My wife being happy is what makes me happy. The On the other side, the next Sunday he has... Giant, giant tickets, and he's never schlepping this girl who he just married, who hates violence, right? She comes to a giant game where there's 15 guys around her with big fat bellies, drinking beer and burping, and the five guys in front of her are not wearing anything, and it says giants in blue <laughs> on their skin, right? And they're standing there, and the two guys sitting next to her have beer coming from their helmets into their mouth in one of these things, right? And she's sitting there, and everybody's screaming, and it's 20 degrees below zero. She's freezing, and these men on the field are taking each other and cracking their heads, and, and she's against violence altogether, right? And she doesn't understand, and she's like, oh my God, I'm sitting in this freezing cold, right, on a Sunday afternoon when I could be home, and then she turns and she sees her husband, right, Chaim, who's sitting there screaming, come on, let's go! She hasn't heard, she hasn't seen him this happy, the Giants are up by two points, she hasn't seen him this happy in her whole life. The cold, the bear, the belching, the whole garbage, the, 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 the violence has nothing to do with anything anymore. He's happy, I'm happy. That's Ava.
That is Ava. So what do I mean by sacrifice? What I mean by sacrifice is sacrificing yourself, that you don't exist, and that all you care about is that other person, that's love. Whether it's a mother-daughter or a daughter-mother, and, and, you know, and parents have this, have this automatically usually born into them, that they're willing to, they're willing to take the bullet for the kid right away. They're willing, they're, you know, and they'll be happy to take it. But one of the things that I think is missing in our generation is that, 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 that Ava, which that's the real point of Ava, and the proof that I'm bringing to you of the Ava is that we see from Abraham Avinu, is that, that people are not happy just by making the other person happy. They need to make themselves happy at the same time. And that's the breaking of every relationship. In other words, he's happy and he's at a giant game, but I'm sitting here and I'm freezing, I'm not happy, so therefore, it becomes this whole routine. In other words, so if I'm suffering to make you happy next week, you're going to suffer to make me happy. One on this team, one on that team. Dysfunctional. Totally dysfunctional. So when I was sitting in seminary and the girls wanted to know what is Ava, I said, that is what is Ava. Now, why am I telling you this? That's Leif Tov. You want to know what the translation of Leif Tov, of the, of the Yisrael and the Bereshis and the Tov and what this rabbi was saying that it encompasses. Because if I am happy that you're happy, then I have a good eye. If, I have, if I'm happy that my friend's happy, then I'm a good friend. If I'm happy that everyone in my neighborhood, in, in other words, it's not about me. If they need something, right, I'm going to vote yes because they need it even though maybe I don't like having an Arab on the block. Maybe I don't like that. But I'm not interested. I'm interested in making them happy that I'm going to have a Chavar Tov. And the greatest Reyes Hanoylan, the greatest ability to see consequence is to see that if I make someone else happy, in the end that's what's going to make me happy. And therefore, when you, have a, when you have an argument with someone, you don't have to be right. Just the opposite. Sometimes you're more right by being wrong. Yeah. I don't want to get into the whole thing. But, but you can be right that you're wrong. A, a, guy's, fight, a guy's having a, a difference, with, or a wife's having a difference with her husband, right? And, and at the end of the day, I know that I'm right, and I'm going to prove to my wife, my wife at the end of this argument, it might take an hour, but at the end of the argument, she is going to admit that I am right. Because, not because I'm, because I am right, and I'm going to show her that I'm right. So let's, this whole hour, and I see this all the time, this whole hour and this aggravation and this whole fight. Let's go to the end of the fight. So now I won, right? She says, you know what, Zakaria? I thought about it. You're right. What, what did I do to, what did I do to, did I make her happy? That she came now that she sees that she's wrong, I made her even more unhappy. Because now she's going back into a room, she's like, oh my gosh, I'm wrong, and I'm stupid, and I made the wrong, and I said the wrong thing, and, and I wasted an hour. So at the end, it's all about me walking in and saying, I'm right. I'm not looking at the other person. I don't have an ayin tov. I don't have a shakin tov. I don't have a chavar tov. I'm not looking at the consequence. I'm looking at that I should be right. Because if I'm looking at the consequence, the consequence is that if I love this person, I want her to be happy. So you know what? I know that I'm right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to lie. And I'm going to say, you know what? After thinking about it, you're 100% right. And I'm sorry. Then you say, oh, why do you have to do that? Because the answer is, because for me to be happy, I have to see you happy. And if it takes me saying that I'm wrong to see you happy, who cares? Who cares about sitting in the cold? Who cares about being in Bloomingdale's? At the end of the day, that's what, that's what Ahava, that's what Lave Tov is. And if a person has a Lave Tov, everything else 
is encompassed in that. And that's the whole Torah. The Torah is lave Torah. That's what this whole Torah is about. So when HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us, and this Gemara is about what Hashem has in His tefillin, do you know what God really wants from all of us? He wants us to be happy. I made that, I said that comment to a girl, I have to tell you, she did not like that comment. She's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Hashem just wants to be happy. I'm like, well, if Hashem says, that he, that he created us with love, that means that He just wants us to be happy. And that's what He does. He created a world, and He just wants the human being to be happy. And no matter what He does, we are not happy. Why? Because it's about me. It's what did you do for me lately? And it's the same thing. And, and there's a mission. I don't have time, but there's a Mishnah, and the mission says, Make your will his will, so his will is your will. What does that whole commotion mean? That means, what does that mean? That I, my will should be to make Hashem happy. I don't have to be right. Maybe I don't understand. I don't have to be right. I have to, I have to, if Hashem's smiling, I'm happy. Even if, even if I have to get dressed to see this and I can't watch the movie I want and I can't, I have to fast this day and I have to do all this. I have to go to the football game and I have to go to that, right? At the end of the day, if I, I am, what's, what's the top level? I am only interested that the Kurzborchu should be happy. That the one sitting next to me is smiling, I'm happy. That's the Ava. That's what we should be looking at Hashem. That's what Hashem should be looking at us. So this girl, uh, I'm going to end with this. I think it's one of the best muscles I've, I've ever come up with. So I gave this girl a project to do over Yantif. And she came back and she did it. With the worst attitude you ever saw in your life. She said, okay, okay, here. I did it. Okay, now you're happy? That's what she told me. I'm like, what's with the attitude? She goes, what's the difference? I did it. What's the difference? If I have, if I don't have a good attitude, or if I have, if I walk, what's the difference if you have a good attitude? At the end of the day, did I give it? Did I deliver? I, I delivered. So what do you care about my attitude? Okay, this kid had a tough yanta. But anyway, I, I looked at her and I said, and, I, and, and I'll leave you with this. And I said, Hashem sent me this mushal. It's an amazing mushal, if I have to say so myself. I said, I'm going to tell you what attitude is. I'm tell you, what is attitude? I said, so I went to Israel for Yom Kippur. It's 5,000 miles. Kennedy Airport, Lud, 5,000 miles. Took, it took, to get to Israel, it took 9 hours and 20 minutes. Okay? Now, I came back from Israel to New York. It's the same 5,000 miles, exactly. The same way they go, they come back. It took 12 hours. Why? I said, it's, it's about attitude. I said, on the way to Israel, I had a tailwind. The wind was behind the plane. 120 mile hour tailwind. The plane was like a rocket, smooth, nine hours and 20 minutes. The way back, the wind had an attitude. It was a headwind. It was blowing against the front of the plane at 120 miles an hour. So what, what happened to the plane because of that? It took three hours, it took two and a half, two hours and 40 minutes longer. And I mamish felt I was on a roller coaster because the higher the headwind, the plane was shaking for nine hours out of those twelve hours. That thing was shaking. You didn't have to mix your drink; you just left it on the table. It mixed itself. <laughs> it, everything mixed itself. It was, it was mamish. Like, like, why, why? I said, both planes made it. To, one made it to Israel, and one made it back. It, they both delivered, right? But one was a shaky flight. That, that was a long flight that I, that I thought I was going to be on that plane forever and the other one was a smooth fast flight I said 100% in life right your attitude is the headwind or the tailwind if you have a good attitude it's a tailwind whatever you're going in to do it's going to be done fast it's going to be done smooth if you're going to have a bad attitude it's going to take a much longer time and it's going to be shaky all the way
Have a good night, everybody. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.